My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Hi, I'm John Hemminghouse, speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, the ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Last week, Pastor Jones examined both Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 7, where we study Jesus' interaction with two men. First, a man inflicted with the incurable disease of leprosy, and second, a Roman centurion whose servant was sick and at the point of death. From those two accounts, we saw how Jesus responded favorably to faith. However, some of you may be thinking that you're still left out because you feel you lack enough faith for God to help you. So if you're one of the many who want God to work in your life, but not sure you have enough faith to allow that to happen, this message is for you. Let me start out by pointing out that the amount of faith you have is of far less importance than the object of your faith. For instance, many of us have seen old film clips from early days of aviation in which a would-be inventor of an airplane took off in his flying machine only to violently crash. It seems obvious that the problem was not his faith in his invention, but the invention itself. On the other hand, many a passenger on a commercial airplane flight has spent the entire trip fearing a crash but landed perfectly safe. Why? Because the amount of your faith is not as important as the object of your faith. Pastor Jones will make the point that there is a difference between a lack of faith and unbelief. This is a distinction that I hope you'll listen for as we consider another incident from the life of Christ, the raising of the widow of Nain's son. Thank you to turn me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, <clears throat> we're going to pick up at verse 11 this morning, but you might want to look back at the first 10 verses, we covered those um, just last week, and um, because I think the context enters into our account this morning, as the Holy Spirit is obviously putting these, um, uh, these events in the life of Christ in, um, in a certain order in each book. And so in this particular case, um, you had two different miracles of Christ uh, that were performed in the first 10 verses of, the, uh, of Luke chapter 7. And the first one is verses 1 to 4, and that was the leper that was cleansed. Remember, he came to Jesus, he said, you know, you can do it uh, if you're willing. And Jesus said, I am willing. And then the second one was the centurion, and you remember, he didn't even talk to Jesus. He sent uh, servants or friends to talk to the Lord. And um, what was the common thread <clears throat> between these two, these two men that saw the Lord work miraculously in their lives? What was the common thread? Faith. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was faith. Now, if you're reading it, okay, and you're reading these accounts, and you're seeing the Lord's work, what goes through your mind? As you think about that, you think about especially the faith of the centurion where Jesus said, I haven't found such great faith in all of Israel. And so you think about your own needs and your own life. And what's one of the things that would go through your mind? Was that Tony? How's my faith? Do I have enough faith, right? Do I have enough faith for the Lord to answer my prayer? And that's why I think it's so interesting that the next account in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17 is dealing with a situation that faith isn't really the key. And I think you'll understand when we read it why I say that. So let's go ahead and read the account, and then we'll pray and ask God to give us insight into it. it says, uh, now we just got done with the centurion's uh, uh, servant being healed. Verse 11, And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. 
Now when he came nigh unto the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account of your word. Thank you for this um, example in the life of Christ of something that he did. But Lord, what comes from it, we pray we'd grab uh, the truths that you have for us this morning. Apply them to our hearts and minds. And oh Lord, we ask for your spirit to be our guide. That your word would, 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 uh, uh, would live and, and do its work among us. And Lord, we, we, we have a choice. Uh, so whether or not we'll let your spirit have his way. So we, we pray that we'll have open hearts and receptive hearts as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to, we'll just start, and I'm going to kind of walk through the account, but I, I want to get to this issue of, of faith in, in, uh, in uh, what's going on here. Uh, let's start by talking about, it's really an exciting time. And why I say that is verse 11. Let's look at that verse again. It says, and it came to pass the day after. So the day after what? Well, the, the healing of the centurion's servant. Okay, so again, a miracle has just taken place again. And many of his disciples went with him, and much people. So this is an exciting time. That's why I use this particular painting for this slide from Joseph Tissett, um, where he's illustrating the, um, uh, the raising of the young man from the dead. I liked it because he's, got, he's capturing the idea of the crowd being there. So Jesus is drawing out great faith. That's happened in the first ten verses, where this leper comes out of nowhere and basically finds the Lord and says, look, if you, I know you can do it if you want to. And Christ honored that faith. And then the great faith of the centurion, who says, Lord, you don't even need to be here. You just say the word and it'll happen. And it did. And so the Lord's ministry is drawing out great faith. He's also drawing great crowds. And so you see, not just the disciples are with Jesus, but uh, as Luke describes it, Many of his disciples was more than probably just the 12, as well as much people. So there's a crowd forming. It's an exciting time. But in this exciting time, it's often easy to overlook people in the shadows. I, I'm telling you, I've seen this in my own life. Where, where you, you know, you're, you're having an event, and there's a number of people that are there, and it seems like from your perspective, everybody's, you know, interested in the word or is, is, is excited about what's going on, but you tend to miss people kind of in the shadows. You know what I'm saying? People who are troubled, people who are burdened. And um, we often, we often uh, overlook them, first of all, because they don't fit the mood. And also, they, um, they often do not want attention. person in affliction doesn't want... Matter of fact, they often feel like everybody's looking at me. Often it's not the case, but that's how they feel. They rarely ask for anything. 
And for these reasons, especially during times of great joy, such people are easy just to kind of skim and overlook them. And this particular, as this crowd is coming with the Lord and they're walking, and I'm sure, you know, talking about him or maybe listening to something that he's saying, Jesus comes upon a hopeless situation. So let's look at verse 12 again. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, this is the city of Nain, behold, there was a dead man carried out the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. All right, so this is hopeless on, on several fronts. But what do, you, what do you notice? What's the first thing you notice in verse 12? That's hopeless. Yeah, yeah, you're farther down in the verse. Okay, but go to the top. You got a dead man. That's about as hopeless as you get. This young man has died. We don't know why. If it was disease, we don't know if there was some violent thing. We don't know if he was sickly all of his life. We don't know, but he's dead. And you can't really get any more, any more hopeless than that. But then you got this afflicted woman. And why is she afflicted? Somebody, Mike, you're already saying something about it. Her husband's already died. And her only son has now died. So she is, she's really going through it. And then you see these many grieving friends. And I'm glad that they're there, really. And um, those of you that have lost a, a close loved one, um, someone that really meant something to you, um, when you had friends come around, that does help. But let's be honest. As good as, as friends and relatives are at a time like that, typically, I'm just telling you, they're there for the short term. Um, they're around when she's burying her son, but soon the funeral will be over. And her friends and, their, and relatives are going to go back to living their own lives. That's just the way it works. And this widow will begin living and facing life often, for the most part of it, alone. Friends also not only tend to be there for the short term, but they never really fully understand. And, and that, that should make sense to us. Um, they don't understand because every situation is different. So some may even have gone through something similar. And I know that does help. For those of you that have gone through things like this, you understand what I'm talking about. There, it does help when someone else who has had a major loss comes along or experienced something similar comes along your side. Um, but I will tell you that, and, and, and those of you that have gone through this, you know this better than me, that is, as, as good as it is to have a friend or a relative who understands your case somewhat, they still don't understand everything. They don't. You can't. Let's say you have two ladies. They both lost their husbands. Well, the men are different, right? They're not the same. The women's relationship with their husbands are different. Everybody's relationship is different. The marriages, um, the, so the, the, the women themselves are different. They're not identical in personality or in background or even in walk with God. Their families are different. Some may have children. Let's say they had the same amount of kids, but that's unusual, isn't it? 
Not only that, but the, but the relationship with the children is going to be different. The, the, the sex of the children is probably going to be different. Does, does one have uh, children that are right there and, 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 and can be there consistently? Another person may not. So as much as, as, as people want to come around and be of help, and I know that in many cases they are, the reality is they, no one other than God understands real affliction that you go through. Nobody. And everybody grieves differently. And we need to be careful about this because sometimes we're too hard on those that are grieving in a longer way, you know, and, and, and uh, we say, well, why, why aren't they over? Why aren't they past that? Look, you're not in their shoes. And sometimes we say, well, you know, this person, um, they lost their mate and, and, and already they've developed a relationship with somebody else. Hey, again, you're not in their shoes. People grieve differently. We can often be very critical of people. We, we're, not, we're not in the situation they're in. This hopeless situation. Then I want you to notice the compassionate Christ here. Jesus isn't just focused on all the excitement around him. You'll notice in verse 13, says, And when the Lord saw her, his eyes weren't just on all the happy faces and all the people that were listening to him. He, he sees not only the crowd, this crowd that obviously is, is, is carrying a dead body, but then he sees the woman. He picks out the mom. He saw her. Can I tell you that... Um, Although maybe it seems like no one else sees what you're going through, the Lord sees it. But he didn't just see it. He didn't just see her. And I, I don't know about you, but there's been many times you're traveling through a city. And you're going somewhere, so you're not going to, you know, you're not going to really stop. But you see people. Some of them in great affliction. And... So often, what do we do? We see, but we don't, we really, it doesn't move us. You'll notice it did move the Lord. It says in verse 13, when he saw, the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. So Jesus didn't just see this woman, but he felt for her. Now again, Christ could have, he is, he's using his attributes only in, in submission to the Father. So we really don't know if he used his omniscience at that point, if God allowed him to know the woman's circumstances. It's possible. But that word had compassion, those two words actually mean to be moved with compassion, to feel sympathy, to take pity on someone. So it's not just, again, he sees this sad situation. And, you know, I think as, uh, with, with, with the, the mass media that Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. We're just, we're, if you flip on the news, you can see suffering people, and we can become very hardened toward that. And so it really doesn't move us like it normally would. But that's not the case with the Lord here. He, he, he felt for her. And then you'll notice he, he did something. He spoke to her. Keep reading. When he... The Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. 
Have you ever seen someone, felt pity for that person, but did not step out and do anything? And sometimes, when you try to reach out to a person that's hurting, they don't want to be helped. And they snap back at you. And I, I think about it this way. Um, those of you that, that have ever worked with, with animals or ever had an animal, um, if you get an animal that may be a very good pet, but they get injured, and now you want to put your hand on that injury, you don't know. Sometimes they'll bite you at that point. And you know we're not much different. People often bite when you're sticking your finger on something, even if you want to help. And for that reason, sometimes we're afraid. And in, and in many ways, we do have to be, we have to be let in. And that's why I, I know sometimes um, uh, when, when different people in the church will, will, will call me up and they'll share a burden and they'll say something like this. They'll say, Pastor, I didn't want to bother you. Uh, I, you know, I know you're busy. Can I say this? You are not a bother. It is a privilege to be invited in to touch somebody's wound. It is not something that I take lightly. It is a privilege. And I try to keep that in mind. That if someone allows you into their life in a very personal way, that doesn't just happen. It has, there has to be, a, there has to be a, a, an element of willingness on that person's part and an element of trust on that person's part. And it is a privilege to be invited into a situation like that. I remember one time, in, in, um, and maybe this is why I think that way, a number of years ago when I was back in college, uh, we used to, I used to visit uh, for our church, and um, we would we'd go out and invite kids to come. Uh, we had a bus ministry. We'd invite kids to come to church, and the next day we'd pick them up on the bus and bring them to church. And we were, I think as I remember right, it's been years, but um, we were driving out of kind of the neighborhood that we were at. We were pretty, pretty much headed back to campus, and, um, and I, I noticed there's a young woman, and she's outside weeping. Now, you don't normally see that. And I just, um, I went over to her and I said something along the idea of, ma'am, is there anything I can do for you? And at that point, she just basically just ignored me. And I get it. She didn't want to talk at that point. And so, you know, I moved on. I, you know, I, I, I reached out to try to see, hey, can I be of help here? But she wouldn't, she wouldn't want it. You know what I'm saying? And that's fine. I, I was a stranger. I, but I just felt for her because she's, you, know, you don't normally see somebody out on the street weeping. So the fact is, is that Jesus goes beyond just seeing her and feeling for her. He actually goes up and speaks to her. So please allow me to speak to those of you who are suffering greatly and are tempted to think that no one cares. Actually, that may not be the case. There may be people who do care, but they, they don't know if they're invited in to help. And um, that's always, uh, I'm just telling you, it's a very tricky situation. But Jesus didn't stop at speaking to her. I want you to notice that he helped her. We're, we're right now at verse uh, 14. So he already said to her, weep not, weep not. And he came and touched the beer. Now, let me explain what a beer is. 
It's a, um, it's like, you've, some of you have seen these in the, in the Middle East. They can almost look like a stretcher that's kind of wood or, or, or metal that they put a body on. Um, often in the Middle East, it'll look like a coffin with no lid on it. It's kind of how it'll look. And, um, and, it, and then they'll have some poles on it, and they'll carry the dead body. And, and it basically, it's just in a shroud, typically. They'll carry the dead body through the streets. If you've, if you've watched a, like a Middle Eastern procession when someone died, you'll sometimes see this on, on the news. And you'll see a bunch of weeping people going, and they're carrying this kind of coffin that's, that with no t lid on it with the dead body right there in front of you. And that seems to be what's going on here. And so Jesus not only um, says to this woman, you know, don't weep, but then he goes over and he actually touches this, this, this what they call a beer, this, this, this uh, like a coffin type of thing, and he, he touches that. And, and what's interesting is the guy stopped. So, came and touched the beer, and they that bear him uh, stood still, the, the ones that are bearing the dead body, the him is the dead body. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. I want to ask you a question. How did this son enrich this woman's life? Now, we don't know, but I want you to give me some, some ways that he could have enriched her life. Okay? Okay. I, I think in a very physical way, he might have taken, taken care of his mom. Give me another way. A, a, a young man could enrich his mom's life. I'm sorry, Pat? Companionship. That's the first one I had down was emotionally. Absolutely. He could help her emotionally, just being a friend, being a son to her. Okay, uh, Karen, I think you hit the second one, physically. All right, the young fella could have, um, imagine if she had a house, um, and she, she uh, uh, is a, if she's a single mom, she's lost her husband, right? So she's got to keep up with a house all by herself, that's, that's hard. Having a young man around to physically help her, issues like a leaky roof or wood for the fire. Um, did, uh, if they had a farm, what about the crops? Remember uh, years ago, um, Seeing a film, some of you have seen it. A young fellow that um, his dad was a farmer. He's a grain farmer out in the Midwest. Um, died suddenly, heart attack, boom, or stroke, one of them. And not only are they dealing with uh, the death of his dad, he's just a little kid. He was the oldest of the boys, I think. And they had a number of children. But now how are we going to get the harvest in? And the harvest is, is like, you know, the dad had already planted it, that things were moving that direction, and, and it became a real stress to this little kid as he's thinking, dad planted that harvest and we can't get it in. But a young fella can do a lot physically. How else could a young fella, a young son like that, help his widowed mom? Spiritually might have been a help. I didn't put that down, but that's a good point. I definitely could have encouraged her spiritually. Um, how, how, about, how about this one? How about financially? Could a young fella help with that? How, how so, Joe?
Exactly. That society, you know, women didn't typically have money-making jobs. And a young man could go out and work. Absolutely. He could. And, and I don't know if you're, I just was reading this week in my devotions in 2, Timothy, in 2 Kings 4, where a, 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 a widow and her children, her children were evidently too young, but her husband had died. He had left them, the family, in debt, and the debtor was about to take the kids away. Okay? So financial issues can definitely be there. I thought of one other way, and that is um, just think about a, little, a, a widow at night. Security? You think it would be a big deal to have a, a son there in the house so that people just don't take advantage of, of her? Um, because of the fact that she's possibly by herself or just has uh, daughters. Um, so security. So Jesus met many of these needs for this afflicted woman with this miracle. Now, let's, I want you, uh, we'll, we'll come back to that, but let's go look at, at the stunned audience in verse 16 and 17. And they Excuse me, and there, and there came fear on all, and they glorified God. This, this was stunning. To see a young fella that was being carried out for dead, and he was dead. And you notice these people are stunned, or we can even say they were afraid. But you'll also notice that they glorified God in this. They realize God's done something here. Now, they're calling him a great prophet. They're not calling him Messiah yet, but they're understanding that God has done something. And then notice verse 17. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea. That's, that's the whole region around there. And throughout all the region round about. So you're talking about speaking to others about this. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. That brings me then to some conclusions. I want you to think about this account with me. The first thing I'd like you to think about is that Jesus sees the afflicted. And this is not something that is merely unique to Christ's public ministry. I want to take you back to some verses in the Old Testament. Look at what well, I'm going to put them up for you. It's Exodus chapter 22, verses 22 to 24. Here's what it says. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way, and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath shall wax hot. God speaking. And I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. Do you understand what God's doing here? God is saying, I'm watching the widow, and you better not mess with them. Isn't that interesting? I'm, I'm protecting that widow. Psalm 146, verse 9. The Lord watches over the strangers... He relieves the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. How about even in, the, in our era, the church era, James 1.27, pure religion and uh, before God and the Father, and undefiled, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. God cares about the afflicted 
and Christ sees them. I want to give you a second thought we get from this account. There are situations that we view that that we view as impossible where God can help. This is why, folks, the, the key to this miracle of Christ is not faith. Because the, the widow, I don't think, is, is imagining the possibility. She's looking for the Lord Jesus. Remember Jairus, the one before his daughter died? He's trying to get to the Lord, trying to get Christ back there to heal her before she died. And she, she dies before the Lord gets her. And Jesus says, just hang on, let me go. That was, that was at least a, a little hope there. But when Jairus takes off for the Lord, that is, maybe he could get there before, uh, get Christ back there before his daughter dies. This is, this is a situation that is hopeless. But there are situations that we view from our vantage point as impossible where God can really help. Did you have, um, maybe, maybe you have something going on right now. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Um, you know, maybe you want, you were talking about the, the Christian school a few minutes ago. Maybe you want to get your kids in school, but you don't know how you can possibly do it. Maybe it's the salvation of a friend or a loved one. And let me ask you this question. Have you prayed about it? Have you asked God on that situation that seemed to be impossible? When the doctor said, well, this is what's going to happen. Have you prayed about it? Remember how uh, that verse in Exodus said, if that widow, when she's afflicted, will cry at all to me. If she'll at least cry out to me. So the widow is not an example of faith. But neither is she an example of unbelief. When the Lord comes up to her and says, weep not. We don't know if she said anything. But it's not recorded that she would say something like, why would you say that to me? Or get out of my face. Do people ever do that with God? They're in a situation, and instead of letting the Lord work, they, they bite. They get angry with God. So we do not see great faith on the part of this woman, but neither do we see her push Jesus away in anger. We don't see her stepping between Christ and, and, and the beer and saying, don't, don't touch that. We don't see anyone else, by the way, stepping between Jesus and the dead body. They could have told him to get lost as well. So when given the chance to allow Christ to work on her behalf, she did not resist in unbelief. And can I tell you this? That's really important. Let me just show you some verses. Um, hopefully they're not too far from you. Uh, let me, let me, you're, you're in Luke. Go two books in front of where you're at. Go to the book of Matthew, okay? And look with me at chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. So you got Mark in front of Luke, and then you go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58. Now this is Jesus in his own hometown, Nazareth. And it says, and he did not many mighty works there because of what? Their unbelief. See, lack of faith is a little different than unbelief. Lack of faith is, okay, I, I don't, maybe I don't have enough information. I haven't thought about trusting Christ. But unbelief is this. Unbelief is, I don't believe you can do it. 
It's when God says, I, I can do something, and you're saying, no, you can't. I'll show you to you again. Um, go to with the same, same book, uh, Matthew 17. You're in Matthew. Matthew 17. Look at verse um, 18 to 20. Now, this is uh, when Jesus is healing a demon-possessed boy that the disciples could not heal. Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? They had tried. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed. See, it doesn't take a lot of faith. Because that would be the impression. If we didn't have the story of the widow on the heels of the account of the leper and the account of the centurion, we'd, we'd be tempted to think, well, yeah, God can work in great ways, but I don't have enough faith. And here these disciples had tried to cast this demon out. But when things didn't happen like they thought they should happen right away, they reverted to not believing, to unbelief. Not just a lack of faith, but unbelief. Jesus, again, in the middle of verse, If you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now notice verse 21. Howbeit this kind goeth not forth out but by prayer and fasting. Sometimes, folks, when God does not work right away, we're tempted to think maybe he's not going to answer. And that's a mistake. We've got, you've got to hang on. Don't revert to unbelief when you don't see things happen the way you think they should happen. Conclusion number four. Most of us in great affliction will not receive a miracle. Can we agree on that? I have never in my life, and I, never, I don't expect to, to be honest with you, done a funeral or seen someone die and then come back to life a day or so later or a few hours later. I've never seen that. I'm not saying God couldn't do it. But the very reason why, that's why it's a miracle. By definition, a miracle is something that doesn't happen. Okay, it goes against everything that we know. So most people, the vast majority of people who are in the same situation, you have a widow and she's losing her only son, most of the people across the planet don't see the miracle. And that does not mean, by the way, that they're any less uh, of a believer than this woman was. Again, not identical circumstances, but definitely similar ones. This woman did not receive this miracle because she had more faith than other widows. She wasn't looking for Christ to step in there. She was weeping, and rightly so, over the loss of her only son. Jesus graciously stepped in to help her, but that does not mean that he owes the same thing to you or me. If I came in, and I decided, you know what? I like Frank, and I walked over to Frank, and I gave him 20 bucks. said, Frank, I'm just so happy to see you, I'm going to give you 20 bucks. Now, Karen's sitting there, and she sees Pastor throw $20 to Frank, and Karen says, well, Pastor, 
How about $20 for me? Do I owe Karen 20 because I gave Frank 20? No, it was a gift. That's what God's grace is, by the way. God doesn't owe grace to anybody. That's great that we can read about that miracle. But you say, well, what about me? I'm in affliction and, and, and it doesn't seem like God is working any miraculous things on my behalf. Can I say this? And, and please don't, especially if you're, if you're suffering, you could, you could be tempted to throw this one off. But, but hear me. It is possible to receive an answer that is better than a miracle. I mean that. If you are an afflicted person and can identify with the loneliness and grief of this woman, God may be offering you something more significant than the blessing of the restoration of her human in relationship to her son. If you are a born-again child of God, or if you're not yet born again, but you would turn to God through your affliction, the Lord offers you a greater knowledge of and closer walk with himself that may not appear to you to be miraculous. The widow in our story received a great blessing, the restoration of her son to life, but have you thought about the fact that son died? And so did she. And however long that relationship was given back to her, it was only temporary. Yet when you go through afflictions and you need to know and you learn to know God in a deeper way as a result of those afflictions, you're developing a relationship that will last eternally. So let's go back to those needs. What about the emotional needs? Does God ever step in in times of loneliness and help believers who are desperately lonely? Can I say one of the problems of our generation is that we have so much at our fingertips in regard to, um, uh, we can turn to entertainment or social media in trying, or even sometimes food, in order to try to to um, take away feelings of loneliness or pain. And yet, here's what our Lord tells us. Isaiah um, 41 and verse 10 says, Fear thou not, I am with thee. Be not dismayed, I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. In Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus said, Come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, people are in affliction, and I will give you rest. He said, come to me. Many of you know that um, my father was a, was a pastor, um, and, and I grew up really in a pastor's ministry. Um, when I was about 14 years old, my dad um, took a church in Erie, Pennsylvania. Actually, the funny thing was, I ended up living for about a year, year and a half, about two and a half miles from Molly, and didn't probably, we never, we never knew each other that we know. We might have passed, you know, but uh, we wonder. But that was actually a very troubled church. And um, 
That was probably my dad's shortest ministry. I think it was in any church that he'd ever been in. And um, so at one point, um, he ended up resigning the church. And uh, as a pastor without, um, uh, without a home of his own, within a couple of weeks, we were homeless. I mean, uh, we were literally, um, there was a, a, a loyal church member um, who uh, helped us with some pop-up trailers. You know the kind that you pull down the road and they're about this high, you know, and you pop them up? Well, we lived in them. The, the guys, we lived in the pop-up trailers. The, the girls, they, the house was big enough they could stay inside the house. We did that for um, the, the warm months of the summer. And by fall, uh, the Lord provided us with a, with a very, uh, just a simple trailer up in Owego, New York, and we went um, there for, and lived there for probably a couple years. Um, and my dad, uh, you know, it was, it was a tough time. It was a tough time financially. Um, he had to, uh, you know, he, he thought maybe God would open up another ministry quickly. That didn't happen. Um, so then he's, he's working real estate. Now, can I tell you the era that he's working real estate? Do you remember when the, the, the Carter years, when, when interest rates went to 20%? They were, in, they were in the 20s. So he's selling houses. He's in real estate. And then the banks wouldn't approve the loan. And so you're on a commission. Money was not coming in from that. Uh, eventually, he ended up selling uh, cars and um, taking meetings on the side. It was a tough time. Um, my mom was going through a time of great depression because she lost her mom suddenly in a car accident. She had a miscarriage when she didn't even think she was pregnant, and then she we moved uh, to this very troubled church. She went. She was going through a very difficult time, and and so uh, I'm 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 writing those impressionable teenage years, and watching my parents with all of these things that are seeming to hit them at once. It's interesting that was did any major miracle? Oh, God took care of us. In different ways. But there was no, you know, $1,000 fall from the sky. You know, you go out there and pick them up. It's nothing like that. God provided in a very emotional way with my father at that time. It's interesting that, and I can't tell you exactly when this happened, but during those years, my dad started, and it was really a, a God thing, every morning the first thought that would come into his mind when he woke up, was this, I am so thankful that I'm saved. God gave him that thought to start out his day, day after day after day. Miraculous? No. But was God there to meet emotional needs? Yes, he was. How about the physical side of it? You can, uh, you can watch God meet those needs in very creative ways. When we're talking about um, just uh, uh, God taking care of people with, when they, they can't, you know, they don't know how to take care of themselves. Many of you remember Irene, and I know Irene wouldn't, want me, wouldn't mind at all me mentioning this. Irene was a, a dear saint of ours and, and uh, used to battle whoever was back in the back for the, for the uh, thermostat, you remember. And... Uh, but anyway, Irene was a, a, a great lady. I, I loved Irene. And when her husband died, she had a coal stove up in her little... Uh, uh, she lived on the second floor of a house down here um, a couple miles down the road. 
And one night she told me about, uh, one day she told me about a, a time that she was there in the middle of the winter. Now, this is a big thing to Irene. She's got her cold stove. That's what keeps her warm. And she had one of those, um, uh, you know, you have a tea kettle or something on top of it to get, to, uh, to get you know, some, some moisture in the air. Well, accidentally, she takes that water and she spilled it right on top. She, the hopper of the coal is right there. She spilled it and just extinguished her coal fire. And again, for those of you that, you know, are, are, are men, that's not a big red fire truck, right? You just, you know, you, you figure out. But to Irene, this is, she does not know what to do. She thinks she's going to freeze. But what does she do? She prayed. She said, God, I need help. My coal's wet. And she told me, she said, Pastor, she said, I, I took one of those starters out and I threw it in that wet coal. And she said, it went. And that was a big deal to Irene. You know what God was showing her? Hey, I'm with you. I'm taking care of you. I think about a day of uh, several months later, I think it was. And I'm driving by on a Wednesday afternoon, Irene's house, and I'm noticing this young fella bringing Irene into her house and she, there's blood all over her face. And so I figure, well, I, I think this is time to stop. So I turned around, and I went back, and uh, I got the story. I ended up taking her down to the emergency room. She was out walking. I think she got her mail or something. And her, she was, by that time, not too steady. And she came near a, 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 a kind of a ditch area, and she falls into the ditch. Now, there's nettles. There's all kinds of stuff in there. And she cannot get out. Now, what's also complicating the matter is that they have cows, and those cows are going to be coming through that area just momentarily. And Irene is laying in the ditch, yelling for help. Now there's a young fella driving by in his car, and I do not know how he heard her from the ditch. I'm not talking about ditch near the road. She's like 20, 50 feet from the road in the ditch. He heard her stops, in, and that's the guy I saw taking her into the house. And of course, then I took her down to the hospital. Did God hear her prayer? Absolutely. Is God showing her, uh, not, not in, in miraculous ways where you know, things are happening from the sky, but he is showing her, hey, I am watching over you physically. I'm there for you. Does God care about our financial needs? I've seen God answer that in, um, in my own family. Uh, so many times growing up as a kid, uh, especially during those times when my dad's uh, uh, income was, was, was really uh, hurting. I saw how God provided so, so we could go to Christian school repeatedly. Times when my parents were so financially taxed because of just trying to give us a Christian education, they didn't have enough money to give us Christmas presents, and God gave them money at the last minute. Just all kinds of things that God does. What is he doing? He's saying to you, Look, I care about your needs financially. I'm not talking about trying to be rich and famous. I'm talking about that at all. I'm talking about God taking care of us. Does God also step in and help us with our security needs? Some of you heard my sister tell it about, oh, let's see, maybe 10 years ago. Honduras, the place they live, typically is on the top 10 list of most dangerous cities in the world. San Pedro Sula. Police are corrupt. It's just a mess. It's a mess. 
she's down there and and uh, they've been robbed a few times and uh, they, her, her husband Paul if we if he pulled into our parking lot you know how big of a crime area this is he would lock his door just habit and just growing up there uh, seeing things you know people breaking and smashing his window to get his computer all kinds of stuff like that so anyway they have they have all kinds of security measures they had you know bars on their windows they had a uh, uh, um, um, you know, the electronic um, security system. They had dogs. Um, of course, her husband, they had a guard. They literally would have a guard with a machete um, watching their house. That's how it was. That's how it is. Razor wire on top of their wall, and they're walled in. Well, um, what was going on over a several-month period is that there were a number of kidnappings of American women in Honduras. And there was a certain lady in the church that just seemed to have her calling was to inform my sister of the newest kidnapping, could be rape and murder, of an American. And Lois was getting to the place where she is getting paranoid. She's getting scared. And one particular night, uh, and I'm not joking, she gave this testimony. She said that uh, there was a tremendous electrical storm and the power went out. She said the guard got angry with them and he walked off the job. The dogs got out of the gate and they were out in the neighborhood somewhere. So that meant her husband Paul had to leave the had to leave the the the, the house and go find the dogs. And Lois is sitting there with her two little girls, and she felt like the Lord really just said to her in her heart, Okay, everything is gone. The alarm system's gone, the dogs are gone, the guard is gone, your husband is gone. Are you just going to trust me? And that was a watershed moment for her. It really was. To say, you know what, my security can't be in the guard and the, uh, the, uh, the alarm system and the dogs and even my husband. My security has to be in the Lord. And I will tell you this, folks. God puts us through times of affliction, and many times he doesn't answer you miraculously because he's actually trying to reveal something about himself to you. The fact that he can take care of your emotional needs when no one else can. That he can meet your physical needs. That he can meet your financial needs. That he can meet your security needs. And it is a wonderful thing that Jesus gave the widow back her son, but it doesn't always work that way. We all know that. But if you'll develop a relationship with God, you can have something that's more special than that. The God of the universe looking at you just like he looked at that woman. Caring about your need. Number six, the widow did not do too much. She just allowed the Lord to help her. Can I say to you that the big thing is don't push the Lord away. Let him help you. Talk to him. Ask him. Finally, the greatest blessing of all, of God's provision, is that it's personal. It's meant for just you. Can I just say by way of application that you need to know Christ as your personal Savior? And to do that, you have to forsake unbelief. None of us have the faith that we ought to. 
It's one thing to pray. It's quite another to refuse to pray out of unbelief. So too, to be without Christ due to ignorance is sad, but to reject Christ out of unbelief is far more serious. And you need to trust the fact that God really is good. And yes, He allows us to go through affliction, but so many times it's so that we will see Him in a better way. So God cares, but you must allow Him to help you. Are you willing to do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I've tried to give examples that I know personally because we can just talk about something we read on the internet. That doesn't have any weight. Lord, every one of those examples I gave are examples that I know, people I know. What was told to me personally, what I lived through. Lord, you are a personal God. You meet our needs. You care about your children. And Satan is always there to tell us that isn't true. And Lord, so often we want a, we want a solution on our own terms. And, and I get it. I, I am so grateful that you had enough compassion and showed us your compassion to help this widow in such a wonderful way. But Lord, we also know that you are as, as real and as with us today. And even though it doesn't seem miraculous... It's personal and it's there for us and it is directly from your hand. Oh Lord, help us, we pray. Help those that right now are in affliction to realize though no one else understands, you do. May we walk away, may we renounce unbelief. I pray, Lord, that you would help any who have never come to Christ, Lord, help them to realize that unbelief must be forsaken, it must be thrown aside. And it can be done so because we can trust what your word says. Because you will keep your word. Oh Lord, accomplish what you want in every heart we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you seen God's gracious hand on your life? I'm not asking you if you've seen a miracle per se, but have you recognized the Lord's goodness to you personally? God can meet your emotional, physical, financial, and even security needs when no one else can. I hope you'll look for his hand upon you this week. If you would like some extra spiritual help like counseling, prayer, or some help with questions from the Bible, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. If you'd like to listen to this message again or send it to a friend, the link to this podcast is at radiobold.com slash Baptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. Everlasting life and light, he frees.